Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. You're listening to episode 34 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network with over 160 radio shows and podcasts for working people just like you. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Shannon Myers. And I'm Harold Phillips. And before we get started, we always like to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council, its affiliate unions, our guest unions or employers, not even their parents. Nobody but themselves. Their parents. Well, you know, I just had my parents over for dinner last night, so it popped in my head. Well, God knows I've got my parents in mind as well, and they're probably listening to this. So, hey, Mom and Dad, how you doing? Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. But (laughs) now that we've got that over with Shannon, have you noticed how chilly it's been in the mornings? I think it's finally fall. Oh, my gosh. You know, my two daughters really don't like the heat, and I don't either. I'm a red hair with very white skin. I actually burn to a crisp. So the heat for us is just like, when is it going to get fall again? And yay, my kids came out. They said, mom, it's cold outside. We're wearing our sweaters and sweatshirts and the Uggs are coming out. And then as soon as they get home, it's all, you know, taken off because it's hot in the afternoon. Fall is actually one of my favorite seasons as well. But There are a lot of people in our Southwest Washington community who are feeling a little worried as the seasons are changing. They're worried about how they're going to heat their homes, how they're going to put food on the table for their families. Heck, they're worried about how they're going to keep a roof over their heads. I know. Everything has gotten so expensive, and they just announced that heating costs are going to go up. You know, when you're going and getting a four pack of green beans generic and they've gone up a dollar in price a dollar doesn't seem like much but when you add a dollar increase or a 50 cent increase or a 30 cent increase on every single item and then you add on the fact that your heating bills are going to go up I don't know how people are going to do it I mean we are smack dab in the middle of a family review for our budget everybody's tightening up Yeah, I think a lot of families are doing those kind of budget reviews. We've actually got someone here with us today with some thoughts about how to help with those living expenses working people are dealing with. Duncan Camacho, he's a registered nurse, a member of the Washington State Nurses Association, and he's running for the State House of Representatives in the 18th Legislative District. Wait a minute. Registered nurse. We just had Terry Niles on the last show. She's also a registered nurse. So what's the deal with all these nurses running for state legislature, Duncan? You know, I guess when it rains, it pours. I guess it's the best way to put it. Um, We've had a lack of nursing representation in the legislature for a while, and hopefully Terry and I can change that a little bit here. What does that mean, a lack of nursing representation? What kind of difference do you think it would make if there were more nurses in the state legislature? There's a lot of aspects of nursing that translate out of the clinic, the hospital, wherever you may work as a nurse. I'd like to think that most nurses that go into this role, they come from the heart. They're making a decision that's best for 
the person. It's not a personal agenda. It's not a personal platform. I don't have a plan for just myself going into the legislature. I'm really just trying to do my part to help people. When I say that, that's not a political pandering statement. That's not me just trying to get political points. That's my background. That's what I've done. Not just as a nurse and prior to being a nurse, I was a paramedic. And so um, I feel confident when I say that I'm just trying to do the right thing to help people because that's what I've done before. I'm sure as a nurse, you have seen a lot of patients who are struggling with these issues we were talking about before, affordability and the cost of living, right? Absolutely. You know, it's unfortunate. I work in the ICU and there is too many times I can count that people have ended up in the ICU simply because they were afraid to go to the doctor because of what it might cost them for something that could have been fairly easily treatable with a very early doctor's visit. You know, obviously in the ICU, that's the very extreme end of where that happens, but everyone's feeling the hurt about how much things are costing grocery stores, rent. It's unfortunate that we're in this position where we have to uh, counteract through legislation to help people just get by with basic necessities. So how do we do that? How do we counteract with legislation the economic situation that people are finding themselves in? Probably the first part, there really has to be an across the board rethinking, rethink how we view housing. Not just from the state level, this is probably going to be for state and county city levels as well, but it's how we view where builders build, what they're building. You know, we might have to think more about multi-unit dwellings, we might have to think about having multiple levels, um, whether we incentivize builders to build more affordable housing. There's different areas we can work out. You know, like anything else, you want to make sure that the state legislature isn't dictating market and forcing people to do maybe what they don't want to do, but it is creating the option to incentivize builders to build, giving people options, the place to go. And I think we can provide those options. They will be utilized. So Duncan, you're out there like every day now talking to people in the 18th, knocking on doors, I'm sure making phone calls because being a nurse, you're not scared of hard work, I'm sure. So when you're out there, besides the affordability question, what else are you hearing from people in the 18th? The national platform stuff has kind of taken center stage. So inflation, then unfortunately I had to have the conversations with, you know, school shootings and gun rights and then gas prices and then Roe v. Wade. All these kind of national platform stuff obviously take center stage when you are going door to door talking to people. Women's rights is very, very prominent on the minds of people that I talk to when I knock on doors. And I don't just try to knock on doors that I feel that are safe as far as, you know, they're only going to vote for me. I, even if I see a Republican candidate for something else on their property, I'll still knock on that door and talk to them. And for the most part, people are very receptive. And there's people that I've talked to that have been previously down ticket Republican voters. And, you know, the women's rights issue has changed how they view party. I've had great conversations with individuals like that that have said, I think we're going to have to, you know, vote for you then this time. Like, well, come on over. We welcome you. Um, there's a couple of topics that always come in. You know, one of them we just highlighted with affordable housing, safe communities and homelessness are very, very big on people's minds. And there's sometimes you can get polarizing views on how people view homelessness. But I am very glad when I talk to a large enough segment of the population, there is a lot more compassion about how they want to address the situation than, I don't know, heavy-headed police treatment or something like that. So I'm glad to hear a lot of compassion in people's voices, but that will help be the catalyst to help how we create solutions to that problem. Duncan, when we think about the issue of unhoused people 
on the streets. We tend to think of that as a local issue, but you're running for the state legislature, right? They deal with issues all across the state. What can be done at the legislative level to help the housing issue in Southwest Washington, as well as the housing issue in, say, Kennewick or Spokane or Seattle? Yeah, it's primarily a city-county issue. But where the state comes in, obviously, people that seek treatment, they're going to be utilizing Medicaid reimbursement. So where the state can get involved is really helping establish foundational support. I feel like I have a unique experience from my background when I have interacted with individuals who are unfortunately experiencing homelessness. It's come down to a triad. It's come down to trauma, addiction, and mental health. And each one of those things can preclude and perpetuate the other. That's not always a single issue. So it's very hard when you're trying to figure out where to start because you don't know which one of those is what affected those people in the first place. But I think you can find that the biggest aspect of addressing homelessness is mental health. And where the state can help with that is establishing where mental health treatment is not just at the emergency room where there has to be a way for people to seek care outside of the emergency room, which is unfortunately where most people who are experiencing homelessness get their regular treatment. And the state's paying money there. We're trying to figure out how to way to utilize dollars differently. If we can keep people out of the ER, that money instead is the primary care and the foundational treatment to help people have their medications, have their treatments, And you create that foundational support for long-term success, as opposed to just an overnight visit in the ER, here's your three days of prescription, that's all we're legally allowed to give you, and then be on your way. So we're right back to economics, aren't we? I mean, all of that stuff costs. ER visits cost. Treatment costs. If you can provide some kind of stable support... That's going to help these working people we were talking about before who are trying to figure out how to pay their rent or pay their heating bills. Absolutely. A lot of things are interconnected. It's not a linear process. I mean, it's a big problem. So it's not going to be a very quick solution, but we got to start somewhere. And I want our listeners to know that this houseless problem is not just in Vancouver. It's not just in Portland. It's everywhere. And although there are The mental health issues, some of it is families who can't afford a home. So they're living in a car with a tarp. I mean, there are some real family issues. So yes, there's a huge problem in regards to mental health, substance abuse, and trauma. But I'll tell you what, if we do not rethink our housing solutions, then we will have more and more families on the street. And it's everywhere. Like Harold said, Spokane, Tri-Cities, Wenatchee, Bellingham, it's everywhere. We need to wake up and figure out some solutions. Well, Duncan, we are coming to the end of our time here, but... Wait a second. I forgot to ask, where are you on the Roe v. Wade situation, and do you know where your opponent stands? Yes and yes. I know exactly where I stand on Roe v. Wade. Uh, I'm the only candidate endorsed by Pro-Choice Washington, Planned Parenthood, and National Organization of Women. You know, I, it's kind of a candid story, but my father passed away when I was young, but I grew up in a house full of women. I was the youngest male with my sisters and mother, and then we had aunts and grandmothers live with us. And I've come full circle in my own house now as the only male with a house full of women. <laughs> I have daughters. So women's rights have been important to me, not just from a political standpoint, but personal and how I was raised. Um, 
my opponent, he is unfortunately on the other side of that. He is endorsed by the Family Policy Institute, and he's been very quiet, but his backers are speaking for him. So like I've said in the past, listeners, check out your candidates. Don't vote via party. Stop with the tribalism. Vote on the issues. Check out the candidates because we have some major issues on the line, which equals freedom. So please check out the candidates, vote down the ballot, and don't vote on party lines. Duncan, how can the listeners find out more about your campaign for the State House in the 18th Legislative District? Well, first and foremost, uh, I have a website, duncanforstatehouse.com. There's information about me. There are ways to get in contact, whether it's phone number, email, uh, whether it's Twitter, at Duncan for State. And people can meet you in person at our upcoming Labor Neighbor Canvas on October 15th, right? Absolutely. You can get to know Duncan at the Layuna 335 Hall at 2212 Northeast Andreessen Road in Vancouver on October 15th. We're going to meet up at 10 a.m. to get to know the candidates and then take off to knock on some doors in the 18th Legislative District. You can find more information on our website, swwaclc.org. You know, I, I'm very accessible. I've had residents who've called me and voters who've called me and asked questions, so that's not going to change. And anybody who goes to the website, there, you know, anybody who's willing to volunteer and help, that'd be great. And anybody who's willing to support in the contribution, that, that's great as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Duncan Camacho, registered nurse, union member, and candidate for the State House of Representatives in the 18th Legislative District. Now stick with us, working people. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's Mark, your host on My Labor Radio. You can find us on multiple podcast platforms, and this show is now part of the LaborRadioNetwork.org. You can discover more than just us by visiting their website. The Labor Radio Network will help you find your next new favorite union podcast or radio show, a simple network of folks from across the nation. Working people keep raising their voices more and more each day and demanding better treatment from their workplaces and their elected officials. As you know, these voices don't get heard very much on the corporate-controlled media. But the 21st century's labor movement has a new way to get its message out there. And working people don't rely on traditional media gatekeepers. It's now the internet, so you can turn off your TV to get the real news. So that gets us to that one-stop shop. Just visit LaborRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for sticking with us, working people. John Zingali is also running for the State House of Representatives in the 18th Legislative District. He's a history teacher. In fact, he's an award-winning history teacher. And he's also a union member. Uh, which union are you a part of, John? I'm a member of the Vancouver Education Association, uh, where I've been for the last decade. And then even prior to my teaching career, I actually worked for the Albertsons Company and was a member of the UFCW 881 in Chicago. Wow. So you have a long history of union membership. Yeah, since I was 15 years old. But as an educator, I'd imagine that you're hearing a lot from the families of your students about just how hard it is to pay for everything, right? Yeah, that's definitely been one of the main issues as to why I'm running. I've always had my students write letters to their senators and congresspeople as part of a class structure about what's important to them. They're exercising their First Amendment rights. And definitely one of those big issues has been housing affordability or medical affordability. We have a lot of families that are really struggling with those things day to day. And as a teacher, it pains me because those kids are carrying a very big burden 
on their shoulders. Sometimes it's really hard for them to learn when they're thinking about where's my next meal going to come from, or you know, are you going to have to move soon, and things like that. So when I look at this future generation, I see a lot of hope and optimism in them. I want to make sure that they've got the best chance of success out there to help us move forward as a state and as a country. So how are you going to be able to give them that in the state legislature in Olympia? I think we need to look at how we provide services to our families. You know, the state there in this last COVID was like, hey, we're going to make sure kids get fed at school. Because all of a sudden, families realize that, oh, wait, schools do more than just educate. And certain districts were working on that. Monica worked on the breakfast at the Belleville to make sure kids get fed before school. Because if they're hungry, they're not going to learn. And so what we need to do is, I think, enhance some of those policies and make sure that that's just not the only meal that they're given. Can they get free lunch? Can we continue on some of these programs that we've been doing? And as far as housing, we need to work with the building community, quite frankly, and start thinking about like affordable housing. You know, down the street from me, I was walking canvassing houses. I'm like, oh, there's Mount St. Helens. There's Mount Adams. It's a great view. And they're building some new houses starting at $995,000. That's not a starter home. You know, my first starter home was $140,000. We need more of that so that families can get a roof over their heads. But we're seeing not only housing prices soar, but rent prices as well, because a lot of homes are being rented out. And it's not just individuals renting out the houses, but we're seeing big corporations come in and buy them. And that's driving the market like crazy. But let's face it, Clark County is an awesome place to live. So more and more people are wanting to live here. We've got really good schools. We've got good stuff here. People want to live here. And I understand that. And so we need to start working with the communities to get the housing we actually need. But John, you're talking about big economic issues, 50,000 foot level kind of stuff, housing and lunches at school and that sort of thing. How is that going to help the average working person who's going to the grocery store and their grocery bill has jumped up 50 to 100 percent? Yeah. Well, what we can do is as we need to build these new homes or transition to green energy, we can bring in good paying union jobs that provide living wages for people. Washington State is actually, I think, somewhat of a leader in union membership across the country, roughly around 30%, I believe, of our state. Third highest in the nation. Third highest, yeah. And we need to continue that trend. Um, I'm a history major. And so when I look back at history, you know, when we had a strong middle class, it was the 50s and 60s where we had high union membership. It got as high as, I think, 45%-ish across the nation. But then later on, there was attack on unions and the decline of that. And now I think we're sitting at nationwide around 11% or so. And you don't necessarily have to belong to a union, but what unions do is they provide good wages for people. And then other companies have to try to enhance what they're offering as well, right? So it works twofold. It helps the people that are in the unions, but also helps people that are not in unions. And it helps lift everyone up. And you actually see that more and more these days. And it's because the balance between the employer and the employees has shifted. Before COVID, the employers had all the power. They wouldn't give us any benefits and low pay and 
keep that federal minimum wage down there as low as you can, right? Now, after COVID, people have rethought what I like to call the work-life balance, right? And now workers have the power. So whether you're joining a union or not, you are worth more than what those employers are trying to give to you. So make sure that you're choosing where you work. We have that option. And more and more employers are taking notice because if you look around, they're now starting to provide living wages. Oh, look at all of these benefits that you'll get. Oh, and you'll also get a sign-on bonus. And oh, guess what? We might actually treat you with some respect because it's really hard to find good quality employees. And maybe employers are going to start figuring that out, that it's actually a good business model to provide long-term benefits to keep long-term employees rather than turn and burn and treat them with disrespect. Yeah, but Shannon, there's the other side of that story too, right? Where the businesses are trying to keep their profits high and they see employees standing up to them and they're getting worried about that. That's why we see so much union busting happening at the big companies like Starbucks, Amazon, even smaller companies in our area. So how do you thread that needle, John? I think we've already talked about the advantages to living wages and union membership. How do you say to those businesses, they're going to still be successful? Once again, I'm going to go back to history and what the evidence has shown us. Washington State in particular has been a leader in the labor movement over time. You know, the whole reason we even have weekends off is the labor movement. A lot of these things that a lot of people might take for granted now are actually rooted in this. I actually had a couple of students a couple of years ago after my fellow brothers and sisters went on strike for better wages and better working conditions four or five years ago. And they were wondering like, well, where, why, what is going on here? And so they dove into this whole labor movement and they actually created an awesome 10 minute documentary about the whole entire thing. And what they learned is we're stronger together. We can lift everyone up. And when you don't have turnover in a company, you're actually spending less in the long run, right? By providing these good wages, you're going to keep someone there in a good job, keep them happy, and then you don't have to keep retraining people. And we see that living wages in other countries doesn't really impact the retail prices of things either. And so once again, if we look at all the data that's out there, it doesn't always have to be low, 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 low to just make that bottom line. You can treat people with dignity and respect and pay them what they're worth and still make a comfortable profit. So how do you take these ideas to the legislature in Olympia? What can the state legislature do to make it easier for working people to have living wages and make it easier for businesses to give working people living wages? We really have to sit down with all the parties and just kind of educate them, right? When you have people who want to run government like a business rather than as a service to the people, they look at things through different eyes. Those same people that want to privatize the post office. The post office is a service. It's not necessarily designed to make money. Neither is the military, right? It's a service for our country. What we need to do is sit down with all parties and try to explain to them that, look, these things that we want to enact, paying living wages, it's going to help everyone in the long run. Being a teacher has taught me a lot about empathy and understanding 
what families are going through. And I hope to bring that with me to Olympia because we need to be able to not only listen, but understand what people are going through and try to advocate for them. Don't forget the action part because you know, ideas and ideology and all of those good things are good, but if you don't act on them, they mean nothing. So we'll be watching you, John Zangali. Also, just on a very frank and blunt note, where are you on Roe v. Wade? And do you know where your opponent stands? Uh, yes. Well, this is something that is very important to me. I will tell you that my students, when that happened, were they were checking their phones. Um, you know, <laughs> it's just, they were, they know what's happening. I was actually down at some of the rallies earlier this year and my students were there with me along with their parents. And we must protect a woman and a person's right to choose. It is a healthcare decision. It is a private matter. I actually had two students do a whole documentary on a couple of years ago. They came to me and said, Mr. Z, we want to learn more about abortion rights in Washington state. And I went to them and I frankly said, okay, I'm not quite sure how that might fit in. But if you figure that out, come back to me and let me know. I gave them a week. The next day, they were in <laughs> pitching to me their idea about this. And they learned that Washington State is actually the only state in the country where the voters have legalized abortion rights in the state. It's not the legislator. It's the voters. Um, in 1970, they did it three years before Roe versus Wade. And then again in 1991, they reaffirmed it and actually removed some of the restrictions. And so Washington State has always been a leader in women's reproductive rights and abortion care. And we need to not only continue that, especially if the Supreme Court is giving the rights back to the states, but we need to reaffirm that and put that into our state constitution. It's been a constitutional right for the last 50 years. And so let's not waste any more time. If the federal government's saying it's a state's right issue right now, then let's get it in the state constitution and protect the rights of all of our citizens from here on out. And my opponent, um, you know, I'm the only pro-choice candidate in this race. So we've talked about a lot of stuff. Are there other issues that you're going to be bringing up to Olympia with you when you get elected? You know, being a teacher has opened my eyes to a lot of different things over these last several years. And I see some different things of what we can do. My school has been very successful. We have a project-based learning approach. I myself have earned four separate History Teacher of the Year awards, including a national award from the Sons of the American Revolution. And what we've learned is hands-on learning is good for kids. This type of learning is great, but it's not available across the state. Can we better support all of our kids, all of our communities across the state by allowing them more choice through public education. And that's the key. So Vancouver Public, Evergreen, we have some great programs like our culinary arts program. There's an aviation program. There's lots of different trades you can learn. What I want to see is this return to that and realizing that you don't have to just go to college to have a successful life. You can go into the trades and really make something and have a great life for yourself. Success doesn't have to be going to college. I was of the generation college, college, college. And I don't, I loved it. It was great. But I also love building things. Like <laughs> I could be a carpenter. I would love to be a carpenter probably or something like that if I wasn't doing this. And you can earn a great wage. You can graduate your program without any debt. We're going to need people to rebuild our country. And, you know, let's get some more CTE programs out there. And let's make sure that all of our 
schools across the state have access to that. I love that, John Singali. And I will let you know, I just like saying your name, Singali. But anyway, talk to the Washington State Building Trades and listen up, all you parents out there with kids who don't want to go to college. There is an option, and they have actually put together a catalog for building trades careers. And they are sending this out to every school district if they haven't already. And it talks about the trades. It talks about how long the apprenticeship program is. It talks about the benefits and the wages that they'll receive. So while counselors and educators are sending out booklets for colleges, they can also give this booklet out for construction trade professionals. It's a great program, great idea from the Washington State Building Trades. Check it out. I've personally seen where some of my students who struggled maybe in middle school with science, technology, engineering, math, they just, you know, they found out that it wasn't for them. But now in high school, they're in some of these different programs and they're a senior this year and they found that I want to be a pastry chef. Awesome. Right. And they wouldn't have found that out at that age if they didn't have that opportunity. John, how can people find out more about your campaign and how to talk to you about some of these issues? Sure. Well, they can always email me at electjohnzingali at gmail.com. They can visit my website at electjohnzingali.com. Uh, I have got my Facebook page for Elect Johnsongali. We're posting events every Saturday and Sunday. We're going to be having canvassing of homes. And you're going to be at our Labor Neighbor Canvas on October 15th as well, right, John? Yeah. If you know me, I work hard. I've actually canvassed over 3,000 homes myself individually. I'm out there walking four or five days a week as much as possible because I want voters to meet me face-to-face and ask me questions. I want to be someone that you can talk to, and I want to be able to listen to everyone in the district and to really, truly understand what the needs are. John, one last question. How do you spell your last name? So my last name is Zingali, Z-I-N-G-A-L-E. It's not Zingale, as most people would say. Um, that's why I always went by Mr. Z in the classroom. But Zingali, Z is in zebra, I-N-G-A-L-E. And I love your consistency on your name. So just remember, everybody, it's fun to say, elect Zingale. Yes? For LD18. <laughs> well, thank you, John Zingale, Vancouver Education Association member and candidate for Washington State House of Representatives in the 18th Legislative District. Position one. Position one. See, the teacher always has to correct you. <laughs> he's not correcting, he's educating. Ah! Be sure you join us on October 15th at 10 a.m. at the Layuna 335 Hall. That's at 2212 Northeast Andreessen Road in Vancouver to get to know John and Duncan and knock on some doors of your fellow working people in the 18th Legislative District so they can get to know them as well. well thank done. you all for having me on today. And thank you, working people, for joining us on another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. And you know, we've talked a lot about how wages just aren't keeping up with inflation in this episode. And what's one of the best ways to make sure that your wages keep up with the cost of living? A union contract. We here at the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council know union contracts give workers a better chance of keeping up with the cost of living. That's why we fight so hard to make sure that those workers get one. And that's also why this podcast is recorded under 
a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. And speaking of union contracts, keeping up with the cost of living, folks, that's exactly what's at issue in the warehouser strike happening here in the Pacific Northwest. This multi-million dollar company with record profits is trying to take benefits away from their workers at the time they need them most. Find out more about this strike and what you can do to support these workers at www.iamw24.org slash iam-professionals. You'll find that link in the show notes. And listeners, this is my union, the Machinist Woodworkers 536. So if you're in Longview, go support them. If you have a minute, go to the website. I know they have some petitions for you to get involved with. Remember, working people, this is your show. We want to know what you want to hear on it. Email us at podcast at swwaclc.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at swwaclc. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. You know you want to. Pass the link on to your friends, family, and your neighbors. And while you're at it, give us five stars or fill up the grocery bag with really expensive groceries or whatever your podcast platform of choice gives you to let people know you like what we're doing here. One last thing, folks. We've talked about a lot of things that collaborate to make the cost of living high. We've talked about healthcare. We've talked about housing. We've talked about the basic need to keep your kids fed at school. Like Duncan said, it's all interconnected. When you think about something like how expensive it is to live, it can seem overwhelming, but it's really made up of a lot of different pieces. So when you're talking to people who are asking for your votes, Ask them what they think about those little pieces. It's one thing for them to make a big speech about how they're going to lower the price of fuel oil or how they're going to lower the price of groceries. But if they're not going to do something about the cost of housing, the cost of health care, or God forbid, how low wages are, they're not getting the whole picture. Remember that when you vote in November. Ask for the details. Ask for the plan. Because like I told John Zingali, we need action and we will be watching the people that get elected because if they get up there with all their big promises and they don't have any action, we need to call them out. We have serious issues happening locally to our families. We need action. We cannot continue to talk about things. We cannot continue to have meetings. We cannot continue to just have discussions and pray for the best. We need action. We need solutions. And we need people like Duncan and John to get up there and actually start getting to work to help the 18th Legislative District here in Southwest Washington. And we need people like them in all the districts across Washington State and in all the state houses around the country. We'll see you soon. Bye.